0: Bing bong! Take your pick. Back at your doorsteps, you dirty dogs. I want to start out. I got two requests from our following, our very extensive following and fan base. Uh, spread the word. I feel good, and it's it's due to my paisan brother Nick Siriani. I'm drinking Italian wine. I got Italian water. I got an extra olive oil in my hair. This is a formal invitation to dinner at my grandfather's house, to you, Nick Sirianni, the whole family will be there. It's in South Philadelphia, born and raised. He can make any pasta, any sauce from scratch. So whatever you want, it's on the menu. I suggest the house special, personally, and that's clams and linguine. And we're flexible. We can do this any night. You let me know what works for you, and we'll make it happen. Secondly... This is a business venture I've had in my brain over the course of the last couple of days. Um, I feel like there's certain cured meats that have been getting neglected through this charcuterie board craze. And uh, one of them salami. And I think if there's anybody in the meat packing district, they should do a joint business venture with the Philadelphia Eagles. And we get it going. It's a Sirianni salami genius right i think it's already selling itself
1: there's um, a market girls
0: go crazy for it i mean he's a good looking italian dude who isn't going to want
1: to go grab Sirianni salami the salami is often overlooked on the charcuterie board is, mm. rob you get it i the knew you would prosciutto is a is a standard it's a centerpiece uh the pepperoni you know, to, you know, contrast with the supersada, but I think some good Italian Genoa salami, is, is, that, that's what's missing from this char- charcuterie board fra- uh, craze that's going on.
0: It, I agree. I agree. And and raise it's, your hand if you, you didn't
1: know, I, get a charcuterie board for Christmas this year.
0: Yep. I blame the Metagons. I blame the Metagons. <laughs> the they just don't understand. Everybody goes to this bullshit Trader Joe's prosciutto thinking, that, like, get the fuck out of here. But yeah, everybody, welcome. Happy to have you again, uh, Sean. Happy to have you back, Rob. Always a pleasure to see you, Rob. Break break it down for me. I know you're feeling good after this last Sunday, so walk me through your emotions and the outcome of
1: how it all shook out. Oh, well, it was an emotional day for sure, uh, but it, it was a volume day. We came we came at it, and we put we posted uh, what was it ten plays uh, on, on eleven between you and I. It was a volume day for me. We went after it with a a whole bunch of plays and we came out on the right side, Uh, eight, three, and one to finish uh, my slate, you know, nine, three, and one between the two of us. All in all, I think that's a pretty good day. Um, You know, in any day like that, you're going to catch some good breaks. You're going to catch some bad breaks. The high that uh, the low and high within the span of a minute that I felt at the end of that Colts Raiders game, uh, it's something that I, I can't really describe uh, the, you know, watching the Colts march down, uh, Wentz, uh, or, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Raiders march down and Carr hits Renfro from the 50 gets to about the 30 and, you know, doesn't look like he goes down, gets up, runs in for a touchdown. I'm holding my head. And I'm saying, that's, that's the over. That's the total. That's it. We're doomed. And then, you know, they go back, they review it and by a finger, they call Renfro down, which actually, you know, actually hurt the Colts uh, more than anything else. And that, with that call, allows the Raiders to then run out the clock, kick the field goal, 23-20 final. We cash our underplay at the uh, the 45 and a half. So it's we're gonna catch good breaks and we're gonna catch bad breaks. You know, those following along on that, uh, you know, the, the crazy uh, Jets Texans, or I'm sorry, the Texans Niners game. You know what a uh, barn burner that was you know 10-7 with 10 minutes left in the game. Uh, San Francisco wins 23-7. Kicks a meaningless field goal at the end of the game. You know, and, and, you know, ruins our te- late Texans ad there on the on the cover with the 13 and a half. So that was a bad break, but like I said, you know, those things tend to even out. Um, and notwithstanding those, you know, those breaks on either end, I think all in all it was a solid day. Um you know, the you know, the Cardinals, you know, Dallas is who we thought they were. You know, they're a good team. And on any given day, they could be a great team, but it's not a given, and it's not a guaranteed. And, and we saw that you know on Sunday, you know against the Cardinals, it was a it was a hard fought game, uh, came down close at the end of the game, but I, I you know I felt like the Cardinals were in control of that game throughout. Uh, how about the Ravens? You know we talked about you know I, I mentioned on the pod on Sunday that I was willing to go in on the Ravens at four uh, earlier in the week. I thought I was stealing a couple points with the possibility of Jackson coming and starting. Huntley gets a start. Jackson sits out another week. That line gets up as high as seven at some spots, six and a half Ravens didn't need the extra points. Uh, and, and frankly, you know, they, they may, they should have probably won outright. Uh, so they lose by a point to the Rams cover that spread. So that was a good hit as well. Um, you know, J E T S jets, jets, jets. I mean that, you know, talk about never in doubt, you know, from the early goings, once the jets put up that first touchdown, I thought, okay, this is this is that scrappy Jets team that we're going to see fighting against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. And, frankly, if it wasn't for some bad coaching, some bad decision-making at the end of that game, the Jets should have won that game outright as well. But we had 13-and-a-half. It was never really in doubt towards the end of the game. Uh, so I was more than happy to see Tom Brady you know, move the ball down the field with uh, 59 seconds and no timeouts left, vintage Tom Brady on Sunday, more than happy to sit back and watch that knowing full well that our 13 and a half was never in doubt. So that was great too. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, we capped uh, the week off with a uh, big Ben's last ride at, uh, at a Heinz field. Um, you know, that line, you know, we, we, we took it three and a half, uh, you know, some spots had it at three earlier in the week, went all the way, uh, from Sunday night to Monday to down to minus three for Pittsburgh. And, you know, you know, we were more than happy to take that six point, six and a half point swing going into Monday night. And that mm-hmm. game was never in doubt either. So that was a great way to end this week. Um, overall, great week, you know, again, you know, the, when we put out volume plays like that, you're really hoping to get on the plus side. You're hoping to have, you know, you know, hit more than not, of course. And it worked out in our favor. So I was really happy with the way the week went, of course. And I thought we, had, it was a good week. And for those that are following along, we made some money.
0: We definitely did. We, we had a, we had a, Absolute sweat as Eagles fans. Uh, Sean, walk us through your biggest takeaway of that one.
2: Jalen Hurts. Definitely Jalen mm-hmm. Hurts in his progression yeah. uh, just as a quarterback overall. Uh, this is a guy coming into the season I was definitely down on, definitely willing to give him the season, but didn't expect much. Um, and game after game, he's definitely improving. Yeah, I thought he made all the right plays. And he just looked really solid overall. The run game still churning away, churning away. Even they weren't that effective early, stuck to it. I mean, they know who they are. They're physical. They're tough. Nick Sirianni says it every chance he gets in the locker room when they put those videos out after the game. And they just know who they are. What do you think about him?
0: I agree. I thought that was the best I've seen Jalen Hurts throw the ball since he was at Oklahoma. Um He made all the right decisions. He hit all the passes he's supposed to. Uh, Real quick, I wanted to bring it up. His passer rating, so he had a passer rating of 90 uh, with 214 yards passing and then 44 yards rushing. I mean, that's a dangerous dude when he's playing well. And when he's able to air it out a little bit, uh, they're going to give somebody hell in that wild card weekend. Um. The thing that concerns me is if you come out slow like that against the quarterbacks you're going to face, I don't care how you try and shake it up, you're going to play a quarterback that could create too big of a gap for you to scrap back in, and then you're forced to pass the whole time, and that's just not going to work for the Eagles. You can't let Taylor Heineke look the way he did that first half.
2: Man, that first half. (laughs) I, that's,
0: that's kind of, that's my second man crush in the NFL. That's kind of why I felt yeah, you wrong. love him, <laughs> but just, I don't, I didn't want to, him to do that this past Sunday. It was nice to see him come down to earth a little bit in the second half. I, it's funny. Cause for me in the beginning, I'm like, this is what I knew was going to happen, but this team continues to prove me wrong. And Rob, we've been talking about it for a while that they're due for a blunder but they find a way to get back in the game, and then essentially dominate it once they get control back. What do you think's keeping that going?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the things that we've talked about that the Eagles need to work on, they continue to show up week after week, and they're overcoming those. Right. So first on the offensive side, you know, I, I tracked uh, seven design run calls in the first half. And I thought that was far too low. I thought there, there there needs to be a stronger commitment to the run early, so that those two, three yard runs in the first half become those four, six yard runs in the second half. You know, a, a bit easier, right? So start to wear down that defense a bit earlier. So I, I thought there was, uh, there should have been a little bit more of a commitment to the run early on in the in the first half. You know, and eventually they overcome that. They, they make adjustments in the, at halftime and they wind up with 26 pass calls, 20 and 34 rushes, a fairly even spread and really you know more runs than uh, pass calls. And that's exactly what we want to see from this team. So I was happy that they turned it around in that regard at, after the halftime. And I think that re- is really what helped the offense get going in the second half. You talk about Jalen Hurts and his ability to kind of continue to progress throughout the season. I think one of the biggest facets of that, and it's something we didn't, you know, I didn't touch on in, in our recap of the plays on Sunday, but that's the emergence of Dallas Goddard as a te one for this team. Uh, Dallas Goddard, 830 uh, receiving yards on the year. That's tenth. That's tied for tenth most in Eagles franchise history by a, a tight end in a single season, and that is with. Yeah. The first half of the season playing alongside Zach Ertz. So he wasn't even, you know, the the premier tight end for the Eagles until they traded Zach Ertz to the Cardinals. So I I really like the way Goddard is progressing. And I know we've talked about this before. Every once in a while, he has those hiccups in drops or other, you know, kind of, uh, you know, miscues or missteps in plays. But overall, you know, I think the the success of Jalen Hurts is. A lot of it has to do with him being able to rely on Dallas Goddard as a true threat, a true option. We had the over 49-and-a-half in Goddard's reception yards. We were almost hit that in the first half. I think it was, mm-hmm. his first, it was his first reception in the second half that put us over that 50-yard mark. And I didn't think that was really ever in doubt. And he actually – I think it was – it may have been till late in the first quarter, if not early second quarter, until he got his first catch in the game. So, it, it you know, they uh, didn't really work him in until about midway – Through the first half, Um, but you know, for a young quarterback, inexperienced quarterback, any young quarterback or a rookie quarterback, um, you you know, tight end is is that quarterback's best friend, and I definitely see Hertz and Goddard developing that kind of rapport, and Goddard becoming more and more of a valuable and strong target for Hertz is only going to, you know, help the Eagles in the long run. My biggest concern is still the defensive line uh, and the ability to generate pressure on the quarterback. I thought, you know, Taylor Heineke. I, I, I know he's your boy, Mike. I thought, you know, and I kept and I, every time I saw Heineke scramble out for a few, you know, for to make some plays with his legs, I thought, I, I thought to myself, yep, that's Mike's gamer right there. He's 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 a guy's a gamer and he and he knows. That's him. got hard. He does. He fights, and, and you know, and we respect that. But the Eagles got to do a better job, especially against uh, against the quarterbacks that they're most likely to face. In, in the first round of the playoffs. And I know they finished with three sacks, and we mentioned this on, on the pod Sunday. We were looking for Josh Sweat to step up and have a game. He had a really good game. I thought he had, he had great pressure on Heineke all day, wound up with a sack. But you know, notwithstanding three sacks, I, I still think they need to be able to generate some more pressure uh, with that front four in order to compete in these playoffs. Otherwise, if they're not generating pressure with the front four, you know how Gannon's running the defense. They're more than willing to let receivers – you know, take anything in front of them. And that's why over the course of the year, you've seen these quarterbacks have such high completion rates like Heineke did in the first half against the Eagles. Mm -hmm. And if they're willing to give up those yards, you know, that's okay. If that's how they want to play it, but you need to generate pressure with that front four. And I'm still, I still need to see more out of them to get more confident going into these playoffs, especially against quarterbacks like Stafford, Murray, Brady, Um, you know, in in that regard. So I'm really hoping that they can take a step forward, uh, you know, going into the playoffs with that pressure.
0: Yeah. You know, I I really think he calls a game not to lose it as opposed to going out, trying to win it. And I I think that's going to be a problem for them, obviously in the playoffs. I mean, but let's be realistic. They're not poised for a run here. Like they're going to give somebody hell and I'm not going to count it out of the realm of possibility because like it isn't any given Sunday type of thing. Um, but he calls a scared football game where he doesn't want to get beat deep. And that works when your offense is able to score 30 plus points. Like that's all well and good. But when you're built off the run, you need to get stops and wear both sides of the ball down for them. Josh Sweat came up with a, honestly, God, that might have been what swung it in our direction. When he come came up with that big play, because it was looking like the the football team was getting ready to pull away with that. And the issue with the Eagles is once it does get too far out of control, I don't know if they really have have it in them to make up that much ground. Um yeah, that that really is concerning. I, I do also blame the personnel. He's trying to put Band-Aids on wounds that you need stitches for. So he's trying to help his guys out. That's something that they're going to have to address this offseason, and they're going to have a little bit of a purse to sign somebody. They have plenty of draft capital. Uh, But I will give Washington credit where they did a really good job of knowing what the Eagles were going to try to do early. So the first drive, the Eagles were trying to run the ball. But the football team committed to stopping it. So if you make the Eagles one dimensional, that's how they knew they could get them. And it was working for them for the entire first half. Not the entire, a good chunk of the first half. So I'm going to tip my cap to Ron Rivera playing chess. They did a good job, but just the way that game swung momentum wise, they just don't have the roster to stop that O-line with a depleted D-line. I mean, we once again, we have to give credit to the O-line. They played, put together another awesome performance, and that's something that no matter who has to play the Eagles, they're going to be concerned about. Uh, is there anything else either one of you guys wanted to take away from that or bring up?
2: Just real quick, on, I just wanted to touch on Hurts uh, real quick again. It was good to see him uh, run a little bit again. You know, last week, he wasn't really doing that. It was good to see the ankle, you know, was holding up in that game. He put his foot in the ground a couple times and cut. Uh, That was just good to see. Because, I mean, that's half of his game, and that's what makes him. For sure. For sure. Without that ability. And that's what makes the run game go with the RPOs and and all that. I mean, he's a huge part of that offense, even when he's not running. But proving, again, that his ankle is all right and he can keep going with it uh, is a good sign moving forward.
0: Yeah, I think everything builds off of that. Honestly, if you really think about all the great games the Eagles offense has had, when he's able to break out of the pocket and slash you for 10 or 15 with his feet, I think that opens up everything else. And I have to give credit. I saw a tweet earlier this week. Uh, Devontae Smith should make you forget Justin Jefferson. Nothing's going to make you forget Justin Jefferson. That's a That's a stretch. But he's making me feel better about it. Like, he's an ice pack to my headache. Like, I feel good about it. He's a gamer, man. It he he reminds me a little bit of uh, I want to say like T.Y. Hilton with Andrew Luck with Devontae and Aaron Rodgers, where he comes up with the play as it comes to him, he comes back to the ball. He reads the play as it's developing. He gets open for Jalen. Like, he's just got it. Every, all the intangible things that you're looking for in a player, he has it. Not to mention he has all the skill to go with it. So I think he's he's a shining star. They finally hit one, and it's really good to see somebody that can do all those things for the birds again.
1: I'm not sure if either of you guys saw this, but actually Jason Avant this week said, you know, he compared Devonta Smith to none other than Chad Ochocinco. That was his comp for Devonta Smith, which I found a bit interesting and I didn't, I I don't know if I really saw it. Uh, but I, what I did find even more interesting, is and as Avon p- pointed out, is that at this point, it, you know, where the Eagles are, is that it is still somewhat of a limited offense, in that you are building around a young quarterback, so it's not as complex as maybe some of the other offenses in the NFL, and they're, you know, they're simplifying things, and rightfully so, as they should be, for Hertz in order to make get the most out of him. But once they're able to kind of continue to progress on that and open up that offense a little bit and throw in some more complex schemes and get Devonta Smith into space and open things up for him, I think his talent's even going to come through even more. And I think that's going to you know continue to progress and help Devonta Smith in the long run uh, reach his potential, because I think we all see that it's there. Um, he, he's ab- absolutely a solid option. And before we end on this game, I got to say, like, I, I thought the one, two – most crucial points in this game were Sirianni deciding to go for it on fourth and short at the goal line and both design run calls and Boston Scott finding and having a nose for the end zone and getting in both times. I mean, you know, a stop on either one of those plays. And this is a, this could be a completely different game and a completely different conversation. Um, But, you know, credit to Sirianni for trusting in his guys to get, you know, get that yardage and get that touchdown on each of those fourth and short um, situations and credit to Boston Scott for stepping in for Miles Sanders. I mean, he, he is a solid running back, a solid uh, second option when Sanders is healthy. And, I, uh, you know, it was good to see him and Howard, you know, carry the load without Sanders on Sunday.
0: Definitely was. Shout out Nick Sirianni for having the freaking nuts to do that. When all the chips are against you, you put them all back on the table. It's like, no, we're doing, winning this game right now. Win or lose. And you got to respect it. And he's been like that all season. Uh, And when it didn't work, people wanted his head. Now it's working. I'm fully bought in. Uh, He still has a fully open invitation to my grandfather's house. But here's another guy. I want to transition into something that isn't being talked about enough in the NFL. And that's Mike Vrabel. With that roster, without your best player, having a first-round buy at this current moment, uh, the, but they hold all the cards, and I think they play the Texans this week. So fact-check me on that. We'll check back on it. I think so, you're right. You, know, you hold all the cards. Um, it is the Texans. It is the Texans. What he's been able to do without Derrick Henry – who might be the most dominant player in the NFL. You can make an argument for it. you got to tip your cap, man. And just the way he's put that defense back together, he's one of those guys you go to war for, you go to war with. Harbaugh tried to step to him, and he was like, relax, Peewee. Like, you don't want any fucking problems. I I think something needs to be said more about Mike Vrabel as a football coach, not even a football player, but like he's a fucking gangster. And he's proven it the last few years in the NFL. I love it. What do you guys think?
2: They, uh, I mean, he's my coach of the year, definitely. Mm -hmm. Uh, That team doesn't – like I don't see the talent really. On the defensive side of the ball, I do. On the offensive side of the ball, they have a solid O-line. I mean, they got three running backs that nobody ever heard of before. AJ Brown's a nice receiver, but I mean, I wouldn't say he's one of the best in the league and I Ryan agree. Tannehill stinks and they're about to get I a body going into the playoffs. I mean, that blows my mind. I, I, I try to fade that offense every chance that I get and I have in past weeks. Um, And he's just been awesome. That team, I mean, the defense, they're back buzzing last year. They had a down year, but I mean, he's got them right back to where they were two years ago when they beat the Ravens. He's done a hell of a job.
1: Yeah. Now you're giving you're. You're looking you're staring at the one seed and a bye week going okay, into the playoffs with the possibility of having Henry come back. You've earned the right to give Henry an extra week of rest going into the playoffs. So the idea of a Titans team with home field advantage, with a healthy Derrick Henry coming back, is not a team. If I'm in the AFC, it's not a team that I want to face. Uh, whether I'm the Chiefs or, or anybody else in that conference, that is not a game I'm looking forward to with a healthy Derrick Henry and with the, that uh, Titans defense clicking right now. Yeah, Not no, to I- mention
2: the resume. I mean, they're I want to say November or September. Well, I mean, they ran through that gauntlet of, Bills, Chiefs. I mean, they were playing everybody, and they just swept all of them.
0: Sean, we talked about that. That was one of the more impressive runs I've seen any NFL team have in a long be. time. Yeah. Yeah, it, like they beat all the top dogs consecutively without skipping a beat. Uh, and then they lose their top guy, and it doesn't even look like it's mattered, which is like I, I feel weird saying it out loud, but – they're still dominating on the run, sticking to their identity and just filling in the Anta Foreman's playing so well. Uh, I'm going to send him a nice Christmas gift. Cause he actually won me my fantasy championship. That was just a great waiver wire find by me. And then just an even better performance by him late in the season. Uh, I hope he gets a nice deal out of this. Uh, he's clearly proven that he can be the bell cow back. Uh, Yeah, they look good. Their offensive line's good. Their running game's still strong. They still have weapons outside. Because like, if you really think about it, AJ won them that game against the Niners. You haven't seen him all year. But he stepped up right when you needed him to. Things are clicking for them. But this is another thing, and we're about to get into the number one seed in the NFC. The only thing that can hurt them is – a week off because you're going to get out of the groove that they are in. They're playing so well. Like at this point, if you are healthy and you're playing, what, like do you really even want to take two weeks off from football? Cause I feel like all that does is makes that first quarter of the division round game sloppy and sluggish. Um, But we'll bring up the Packers. I think it helps them so much more that they're about to get two studs back going late into the season, like, and you're getting, all roads are leading through Lambeau, which this year looks tough, um, but they look so good again, too. That's another team It's like, do you even really want time off? I don't even care if Aaron Rodgers is in a full cast. Just let the kid spin. He looks great. That offense looks great. The defense looks good. What do you guys think here? I, I To me, the only thing that could mess them up is having two weeks away from football.
2: I'm torn. If I'm the Titans, if Derrick Henry comes back because I get the one week off, I mean, it's not a debate. I need Derrick Henry yeah. for my run. I mean, he's yeah. a game wrecker. He's a guy that can house anything. And is a guy that wears on you and just changes the entire game. You know, it's tough to tackle Derrick Henry for an entire game. And with the Packers, if I'm getting Bakhtiari back and Jair Alexander, same thing. I mean, these are all pro top three, four, five of their position. I mean, you need these guys back for an elite playoff run, which I mean, the Packers, that's all you better win the Super Bowl, or I don't want to hear yeah. anything else about how good you are. And
0: Sean, I'm with you, dude. It, this is Super Bowl or bust. I mean, Brady's gotten up. It, it doesn't even matter if you don't take it all the way home this year. I don't want to hear anything. I don't want to hear any more excuses out of Aaron Rodgers.
2: No, you'll be Drew Brees to me.
0: Like, so here's the thing Matt LaFleur is a great football coach. He doesn't get enough credit for that because he has Aaron Rodgers. But he calls great games. Dudes are wide open all over the field. And then there are the plays that Aaron Rodgers makes the perfect back shoulder pass. So obviously, like, there's something to say. Like, when you have a talent like Aaron Rodgers, obviously it helps. No shit. But he still calls great games. I, I don't think enough's being talked about with him the last two years. Like, he needs to be more in the coach of the year conversation. You got two first round buys in a row. And home field advantage, and I'm not giving him as much of the blame as people did on that field goal. I know if you look at Aaron Rodgers, like, do you want the ball? If I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm thinking, yeah, absolutely. I'm not giving it back to Tom Brady
2: in the playoffs last year. You're saying, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. some
0: bitch shit. In my that's opinion. on Rodgers.
2: I agree. Yeah, like agree that, that's my Rodgers stance
0: too. on the matter, and I don't care. I'll go. I'll be on the fucking cross with that. That's where I am with it. I don't know, Rob. I give me your give me your take on the Packers. I'm I'm a little Aaron Rodgers biased. I think he's the best talent in the NFL at quarterback. He's the most talented quarterback without a doubt in my mind, but he isn't Brady where he can ice any game.
1: Yeah, I mean I- I think the Packers are a clear front runner in the NFC, and it really is. It, the road goes through Lambeau at this point, and anything short of a Super Bowl appearance, you know, maybe a Super Bowl win, would be a major disappointment in Green Bay. Uh, as far as the rest versus Rust debate, you know, for, for Tennessee, I, I think just as you guys said all day, I will take the week off to get a healthy Derrick Henry back. End of story. Uh, as for the Packers. You know, again, I, you know, they are looking to get some guys back healthy, including, you know, Bakhtiari and, and Alexander. I think they'll take that as well. And if there's anybody I trust to lead my team after a week off going into the playoffs, it's Aaron Rodgers. He's going to have that offense ready to go. I trust the floor for the reasons that you just, you know, you guys mentioned, I, I like him as well. And, and I, I just think this is the Packers NFC to lose at this point. I, I, with the way Tampa Bay is looking uh, in, in terms of being depleted, I'm not sure if they're, you know, I, I don't know if Fournette's going to be available uh, come time to, you know, visit Lambeau. Uh, you know, we know, uh, Godwin's out for the year of course and and now you know and I'm sure we'll get to it but Brown is out right so the, the options are becoming more limited for Tom Brady And we've seen Tom Brady you know you know uh, do a lot with a, a, a little but in this regard at, at this point in the season I, you know I, I still have to give the Packers the edge over Tampa Bay and Tom Brady especially in Lambeau the next go around we know you know. You know, off the top of my head, I don't have it, but we know how good Aaron Rodgers is at Lambeau Field. And if Tom Brady and the Pack- or and the Buccaneers visit the Packers again this year, you know I would be hard pressed to go against Aaron Rodgers in that rematch. And frankly, outside of the Buccaneers, I don't see anybody else on this NFC slate um, that can, you know, really challenge the Packers in Lambeau. We saw what the Rams did last year in Lambeau. I don't see them, you know, being any better than they were last year or turning things around in that regard. Um, you know, I don't believe in the, in Dallas, especially traveling to Lambeau. I mean, I really think that the Packers are in the driver's seat here, just the way that Aaron Rodgers can make plays, and we saw it last night with some of those throws yep. that he makes, yep. whether it's to Adam. You know, the connection with Adams and 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 Rodgers has to be one of the best connections in the NFL, if not the best connection right now. And Are you so all in time, sync? It's, it, they're so in sync. And, and it, what I found most fascinating uh, last night was the um, the commentary on Scantling and uh, the you know just the idea of getting more comfortable with Aaron Rodgers and him getting comfortable with you. And as soon as things start to click and that timing comes about between Rodgers and his receivers, I mean, just seeing the places that he puts some of these balls in, uh-huh. I, I don't know if there's another quarterback in the league that could really do it like that. Um, and, and not to mention the fact that they have a great one-two punch in Jones and, um, and Dylan. I, 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 that might be the best one-two punch in the league as well. I mean, you got you, I, they were calling him Mr. Outside and Inside last night, and that's exactly how they ran him. You know, jo, you know they're using Jones to get outside on the perimeter on outside room, uh, zone plays. They're using you know Dylan with his two hundred and fifty pound frame up the middle, and he was just bulldozing over the the. That's yeah, you know? a bear. It, that's I mean, bear. So not only do you have to worry about Rogers and making sure you have adequate protection to cover these Packers receivers and account for Rogers' playmaking ability, but you have to be weary of that run game. I I just think that, you know, that offense, you know, coupled with the defense playing strong and the possibility of getting one of the best cornerbacks in the league back, I I just think the Packers, especially in Lambeau, are going to be a very tough out for anybody in the NFC. Yeah, Yeah, that run
2: attack late, I mean, that is dangerous when you have to tackle. I mean, we were just talking about Derrick Henry. When you have to tackle A.J. Dillon after you've been just getting the (laughs) shit beat out of you for three (laughs) years, that's not fun. Nobody wants to do that.
0: And it's only getting colder up there. It's only getting colder up there. That's a bad man. That's a bad man. Do they have
1: the best one-two punch in the league right now? I mean, it's hard to think of another one. I mean, can you come up with another one that's better than that? I mean, the Browns maybe would be an argument.
0: Not anymore.
1: Talk about underperforming. He refuses
0: to give Nick Chubb the ball. They don't have it anymore. They did going into the season that was the front runner. But I don't know, man. That's a that's a Lendell White, Reggie Bush type of combination to me with thunder and lightning. They'll beat the hell out of you and then run right around you. That's a dangerous, dangerous group. Okay, I want to talk about a very dangerous man. I want to talk about a very dangerous man. This guy has eight touchdowns and almost a thousand yards in the last two weeks. And that's Joe Burrow. That is that dude. I, I I was a huge fan at LSU. I mean, when you have Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, and then Clyde Edwards Hilaire in your stable, yeah, you should be doing that. But to do this in Cincinnati this year to clinch a division, go to the playoffs. I mean. You got to tip your freaking cap. That's another – Zach Taylor Taylor's another guy that's in my Coach of the Year conversation. Uh, they look good. They're getting hot at the right time. That's a tough out round one, man. That's a dangerous team. And to do it against the Crown Kings of the AFC two weeks before the playoffs, I, I think you couldn't have done it at a better time. They have to be feeling really good about their chances at it this year.
2: I don't think he's gotten anywhere near enough credit Joe Burrow these last two years. Yeah. I mean, I think people forget how bad the Bengals were. And yeah. and to build it up, they didn't really build it how you're supposed to build it. They got a stud quarterback, great. And then they just got a couple toys, T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. Usually, you know, you're building through the line to get that quick improvement. They got a couple toys, and this kid just took off. I mean, there's no stopping him right now. And it's not somebody that, honestly, I think the Bengals aren't that good, but I don't want to play them right now. No way.
0: Yeah, no, it's funny. Uh, the Giants build it, tried to build it the same way. They did the poor man's version, but that's turning into a clown show. Joe Judge, get the fuck out of here, let, Don't, don't tell that to Joe fuck.
2: Judge. Are who are you trying
0: to. to fool, bro? Uh-uh. Look, in, look in the mirror. You're not fooling anybody. Between your antics as a coach and the football team's antics in the stadium, Get the fuck out of here. That's like you guys are why everybody thinks the NFC East is a joke. You two organizations because the Cowboys are still great. No, not great. They're okay. Every given any given year, the Eagles can beat anybody any given Sunday, even at their worst. Joe Judge, go fuck yourself. Rob, give me your take on the Bengals.
1: Well, I mean, they proved us wrong, right? From Sunday, you know, we both sat here and you know we said that this is a statement game. You know, this is a you know a game where we're going to see how far along the Bengals are in their progression as just a franchise. You know, being built around Joe Burrow, and you know we did, neither of us thought that they were ready to take that step and take on Kansas City even at home. And for the most part of that game, it looked like that was the case. That you know they can score some points. You know, they can keep pace, but, you know, they may not be able to beat a team like Kansas City. But then, they, you know, literally, you know, Chase turned the uh, Jets on, you know, throughout the game, and, and they really made that a game, and then close game, and then credit to Taylor uh, for the way he handled the end of that game and, and getting that win against a really good Chiefs team. And, you know, I, I don't think the Chiefs want to see Bengals again, the Bengals again, and I don't think any team wants mm-hmm. to see Bengals again. Uh, right now, it's so a look – I mean, again, you know, we, we're talking about Joe Burrow, Jay, uh, Jamar Chase – you know, T Higgins, these, these weapons, this passing game, that's been electrifying the last couple weeks, but let's not forget that, you know, Joe Mixon has had a solid year. He is a very capable uh, running back and he's a top 10 fantasy running back. He's had a great year, you know, he's still young. And and I think overall that offense is looking strong And the defense. If they can get enough plays on defense uh, to, you know, to make some stops, they are, they're another really tough out. As it looks right now, they're staring at the Colts coming into Cincinnati uh, next week, depending on how things shake out at the last week. As it stands today, the Colts would be traveling to Cincinnati. And, you know, if I'm the Bengals, I'll take Joe Burrow against Carson Wentz in a shootout. You know, obviously, you need to, you know, commit to stopping Jonathan Taylor, right? But, you know, and if you're able to limit Taylor, like, you know, whether there's any stopping Jonathan Taylor at this point, you know, that remains to be seen, but if you're able to limit and contain Jonathan Taylor and force Carson Wentz into throwing the football and having to make plays to win a game, I like the Bengals in that game.
0: Yeah. I mean, if we, I feel like we all have the same formula when it comes to playoff football, you take the quarterback, no matter what. And, and, Honestly, looking at the playoff picture, I would want it to end right now. You have so many division rivals playing each other. Besides, I would like to swap the Eagles and the Cardinals position, make the Eagles play the Cowboys, make the Cardinals play the Rams. Hmm. And then that there, that's Saturday and Sunday. And then I, I believe there is going to be a Monday night game. We would get six – Unbelievable matchups, regardless of how it shakes out, we're gonna get six unbelievable matchups because I think anybody can beat anybody here, and we'll touch on that in two weeks because so much can change. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you. I don't think anybody wants any problems with Joe Burrow, I don't think anybody wants any problems with that offense. If they're feeling themselves and they're rolling any given Sunday, they could drop 50 on you. It, it they have the run, they have the pass, and Jamar Chase. I would have never said that was the right pick, but when you get 300 receiving yards, I'm going to shut up and just let you do what you do. Kid's an animal. Um, Yeah, so it looks like that GM made the right-wrong decision this current moment. Real fast, I want to touch on two wanky topics. The first one being Antonio Brown. This one, to me, at this point, I'm seeing so many different narratives and so many people spewing bullshit out there. If you have a mental health issue, that doesn't give you a free pass to do whatever the fuck you want to do and handle whatever situation you feel like you were slated in to act like an asshole. I don't know exactly what was going on in the Buccaneers locker room. After he faked the vax card, another thing if you're going to fake it, be a man, take responsibility. He didn't take responsibility in Pittsburgh, he didn't take responsibility in Vegas, he's not taking responsibility in Tampa. At one point, are you going to look in the mirror and say, I'm a dickhead? Because that's like, that's what it is. I would like, I'm a huge Antonio Brown fan, he's an unbelievable wide receiver, but as a man, you need to be better and you make it hard on people that actually go through things day-to-day life that don't have the platform you have, don't have the resources you have. You make it harder on them to go through it, and you actually undermine the mental health shit, because clearly he's got problems. I have a lot of different opinions about this on both sides, but – I don't know if you guys have anything to add to that. I would love to hear it. Uh, if not, we could move on quickly.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know what's going on in Antonio Brown's head. I don't know if anybody does, but there's clearly, you know, you know, he's, he clearly has some problems that he's working through, and you know, he need, you know, it's, it's clear he needs help, right? Like, I mean, this isn't this isn't an isolated incident. Um, and it's fun. It's interesting because I, I think I, I've seen a few times on on internet on the internet this week that uh, you know Antonio Brown hasn't been right after that uh, Vontaze had hit in the playoffs a few years ago, right? Like that that nasty yeah. shot. I, I I don't know how much of this has to do with his with any injuries, head injuries, or just general mental health issues or disorders. But you know, I, it's just it's just a situation where at the end of the day the Buccaneers needed to move on. You know, I, I yeah. think until Antonio Brown either gets some help or, or figures things out on his own, like, you know, I, I just think he's a liability for any given team, especially a contender like the Buccaneers. You know, it, as hard as that is to say because he is such an incredible talent and he is such a great receiver, um, but, you know, if not now, then, then when, right? Like, it's only a matter of time before something boils over, just like it did in Pittsburgh, it did in Las Vegas, or Oakland at the time it did, you know, you know, now in Tampa Bay. Right. You know, frankly, you know, he may not be on this team if it wasn't for the fact that Brady vouched for him. Right. Yep. And yep. there's a certain point where, you know, we all know, like, you know, you could vouch for your, your boy is, is, you know, until you're blue in the face, blue in the face, but it, eventually it's, you know, push comes to shove, push comes to shove at some point, you know, you, you know, you got to let him go. You know, you got, you got to yeah. let him be his own person. And, and, I I think it's, you know, I feel, I feel for the guy to some extent. Right. But at the same time, yeah. You know, Mike, as you said, like there's a degree or a level of professionalism expected in the NFL and, you know, the way he has handled things, uh, you know, throughout his tenure, you know, each of his stops, it's a shame because, because, you know, it seems like a situation of talent wasted to some extent. Um, And like I said, you know, we don't know what's going on with Antonio Brown, but um, you know, hopefully, you know, if not this, there's some, you know, this is a wake up call or some kind of call for him to get some help. Um, but, you know, I, yeah, you know, I think it's, while it's unfortunate for the Buccaneers heading into the playoff run to be without another weapon, yeah. um, ultimately it may be best for them, you know, to move on and to kind of get rid of the distraction that San Antonio Brown.
0: I think it is. And I just want to make a point. Like this is coming from a guy that's drinking a nice bottle of red on a podcast, but there's certain ways like you take ownership of things that you're going through mentally. Like DeMar DeRozan's a prime example of what he's done in the NBA and he's voiced his issues that he deals with, but he handles them professionally. I don't want to say like a man because that's sexist, but like he handles them very well. And he uses his platform to try to help people not act like an asshole on national TV, essentially, and like people had to explain that to their kids. People have to explain that to fans. Like, you just had like people are asking, like, What the hell was that? And I'm like, I don't even know. I'm like, Guy's got screws loose, get the help you need, deal with it however you see fit. But like, it gets to a point where you run out of strikes. He's on strike number like seven. So if it if this was his first time going through this or dealing with something like this, I would shoot him some bail. But if you check the history, there's a running theme, and he seems to be the problem. And a side note: God bless Mike Tomlin for having to deal with him and Le'Veon Bell at the same time. I he's gone up a couple pegs in my book over the course of the last couple of days. Uh, I don't know how he did it. Mike Tomlin, God bless you. God bless your family. So I have I have something funny to lighten up the mood. This is a tweet that I came across from Harrison P. Kent the uh, some, Fourth. Some guy. I'm gonna read it off to you. Jerry Rice, who laughably ran a 4.7140, would be a practice squad player in today's NFL. It gets better. A prime Rice, my algorithm suggests would be the 193rd most effective wide receiver today. Rice, enabled by coach and quarterback talent, was somewhat effective in his day. But today's wide receivers, wide receivers are a different breed. Let me give you a quick backstory on Harrison P. Kent Fourth. founder and CEO of Kent Analytics, football data analyst, Harvard, Phi Beta Kappa, fluent in Latin, Okay, Harrison P. Kent, let me break this shit down for you real fucking fast. I don't care that you're in beta, beta, beta. You've never played football, and I don't care if you never played football, because there's a lot of guys I know that never played football that know the game very well. Don't try to discredit the greatest wide receiver arguably anybody's ever seen. And I'll break down some numbers. He had... Four 1500 yard seasons. This is when they played 16 games. His best season, and this is all regular season stats 1848 yards. That's practice squad material. He had 1500 or 15 touchdowns five times. He had 22 in the regular season. That was his best. Three times Super Bowl champ, one time Super Bowl MVP, 10 times first team all pro. So off of Sean's math, he doesn't even fit an NFL roster these days. But based off your algorithms on a 4.740 yard, please, Rob, give me your instant takeaway from this.
1: Actually, my instant takeaway is like, this is ironic, right? Because like over the holidays, you know, these kinds of conversations come up and this is exactly the kind of conversation we had at the family New Year's, you know, day festivities, right? Talking about players and specifically Jerry Rice, guys like that in that era playing in today and whether or not they can have the same success, similar success, compete, etc. cetera, whether it's Jerry Rice playing in the NFL or Will Chamberlain playing in the NBA today. You know, I, the fact of the matter is I, I firmly believe this is that over time, athletes generally get better right? The average athlete in the NFL today is faster, stronger than the average athlete in the NFL during Jerry Rice's prime. That's yes. just a matter of, you know, you know, human development, uh, resources, technology, etc. It's all those things. Um, with that being said, you know, it, Jerry Rice is the goat. He's the goat receiver and he's one of the greatest of all time. You can't, you know, sure. If I, if I put, uh, you know, uh, you know, Paul Horning or Jim Brown or you know Y.E. Tittle like in today's NFL, yeah, they're going to struggle too. Like it's just it's all relative to the era in which you played. Like that's why you know the you know today you know now that we play seven uh, we play you know the teams play a full seventeen games you know things are going to change in terms of records and standings. Right, you're going to have more opportunities to have those stats and increase your stats. Um, but you know these kinds of takes to me, it's just. They're just laughable because, right, like everything is relative with respect to the era in which you played, right? Um, and and Jerry Rice, you know, if he were to play today, who's to say he wouldn't be even better with the way that the NFL is played today? That's yeah, the other side of things, right? Like, you know, Jerry Rice played in an era where cornerbacks can touch you, they could grab you, they could defend you. Today's NFL that's not allowed. That's an, it's a five yard penalty and an automatic first down as we well know. Right. So it's a, the rules are completely different, you know, understanding, you know, talent progresses on average, the rules are completely different. The league is completely different. The amount of times that quarterbacks drop back, the pass is completely different. So it, it cuts both ways on these types of, you know, Past versus present arguments, um, so I, I think the goats are always the goats and the greatest of all times. The best in their era, they're always going to be the best of that era, and you know that's the ultimate discussion: is can they compete in today? It, you know, I, relative, yes. You know, speaking to to you know to the era in which they played in their competition, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I know these analytic guys like to throw out these numbers and you know this and that, um, but and, and another thing too is like I. Jerry Rice had a slow 40 time, you know, there's players today in today's NFL that have slow 40 times, but as anybody that plays football, know, Mike, as you know, as you guys all know, your 40 time doesn't always necessarily translate the game speed, right? Like nope. you, nobody thought Justin Jefferson was going to be as solid as he is. At the, Justin Jefferson has just put up the two most prolific rec, uh, receiving yards uh, or receiving years for a wide receiver in his first two years in the league in the entire history of the NFL. He came out of LSU as a slot receiver. Nobody saw the speed that you see Justin Jefferson have on game day in his 40 time in the combine on college. Nobody saw that. So again, to rely on a 40 speed or anything else like it's just completely different from gain speed. And I think Jerry Rice actually might have said this. Uh, I think I heard an interview earlier this year with him. He's like, it all changed. You know, as long as he was, as long as he saw the guys behind him when he was looking up the the jumbotron on the way in the end zone, that's all that mattered, right? So I think you know, that's a whole other issue, like right? you know, 40 speed versus game speed. I believe they're two completely different things. But on the whole, I mean, these arguments are silly. Jerry Rice is the greatest of all time for a reason. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Sean, did the guy forget how to
2: ask. run a route if he played in today's game? I mean, I don't even understand what that guy's trying to say. I'm under the belief that the greats, when you're really a great, you would at least be very good in any era. I hate when people yes. do the LeBron couldn't play in the eighties yeah, get the hell out of here. I mean, LeBron's more talented than all of those dudes damn near combined. And Jordan yeah. could play in today and average fifty if he wanted to. I mean, the greats are the greats for a reason and they would succeed in any era. Harold the fourth or whatever the hell his name is is not worth the breath. So um that's all I got.
0: Yeah, no, he he's a he's a troll. Uh save that for the beta 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 reunion at so- Harvard this year. You bring that up then. Um, I wanted to end this on a more positive note and break down some of the awards that we foresee happening. Like, I want to go through some rankings. Everybody give their takes on MVP, that signed, sealed, delivered, uh, coach of the year, defensive player of the year, rookie of the year, comeback player of the year. I'm going to start with my, my top five of – Coaches, I have Mike Rabel at one, Zach Taylor at two, Matt Lafleur at three, Nick Sirianni at four, and then Belichick at five. How do you guys see that shaking out?
2: I'm surprised you have Zach Taylor so high.
0: I just think they're so far ahead of where they should be. I mean, yeah, no, they definitely are. Year two, I mean, you just got your franchise quarterback. I mean, you look at the Jaguars getting their franchise quarterback; they're still a clown show uh, for them to go and seal it against the chiefs to me just means that much more. And that might've been top to bottom, not the best, but the toughest division to win and to do it in that fashion. I'm, I'm giving him the number two nod. I'm giving it to Mike Vrabel just off the fact that he's getting, he should get the one seed barring anything crazy. Because uh, a win hurts the Texans at this point. Granted, sure. I, you don't go out to lose any football game in the NFL, but Mike Vrabel, if he can get a bye without his best player, with that quarterback, with that roster, I to me he's – With the
2: schedule they played.
0: With the schedule they played, they had a very tough schedule. might have been the toughest in the NFL. I, I have to give him coach of the year. And then I think a lot needs to be said for Matt LaFleur, two back-to-back – Uh, number one seeds in the NFC. And then Sirianni just getting to the playoffs with the Eagles roster after like week three, it was people were calling for his head. I think he's up there in that conversation. Then Belichick bounced back here. I mean, we're talking about the greatest of all time. That should be no surprise. But to me, taking Mac Jones, listening to his good friend, Nick Saban, and putting that together the way he did so quickly. uh, Yeah, he's right back in that conversation as coach of the year. That's my opinion. I'd love to hear what you guys think about this. So, Sean, take it away.
2: Yeah, we got the same five, uh, different order. Uh, I go Vrabel, LaFleur, Belichick, Sirianni, Zach Taylor uh Belichick I think deserves a hell of a lot of credit I mean with the rookie quarterback coming into this year they signed they spent a bunch of money I mean they spent like a hundred million dollars on tight end like they got a whole bunch of like just some weird stuff they still don't have a receiver I mean I think they're overperforming their defense is back um I think Belichick's maybe done his best job as a coach because we don't really know what Mac Jones is without Belichick we know Brady is Brady yeah um Zach Taylor, hell of a job. Sirianni clinching the playoffs before week 18. I mean, just making the playoffs, but, I mean, making it with a week still to go. I, you, If you would have told me that before the season started, I would have never believed you. I mean, the I think their win total was over under six and a half. I mean, the guys exceeded all expectations after week. Yep. I mean, they were what, two and five. So after that Raiders game, I want to say week seven. I mean, they've been peddled to the metal, and they've been awesome. Uh, And I think I'm missing somebody. Oh, LaFleur. I mean, LaFleur doesn't get enough credit because he has Rodgers, like we were saying. Um, But the guy's been coaching and has already won damn near 30 games. He's been coaching for two years. I mean, yeah. I don't even know. if He's like 40, low 40s. I mean, the guy's got a long career. He's definitely a hell of a coach and a hell of a play caller.
0: Yep, yep. Rob, what's your list?
1: I, I think it starts with Rabel for me at the top as well. Uh, I mean, to see the way Tennessee has just kind of plotted along this year and to remain at the top of the AFC conference, the stacked AFC conference, what he's being able to do to keep that team moving forward without Derrick Henry, uh, I think speaks volumes to his ability as a coach. You know, I I meant to mention this when we were discussing the, the Titans earlier. You know, they're just that quintessential, sound, fundamental football team, right? Like he's doing all of this with a quarterback for all intents and purposes that you know we would all consider a game manager, right? Ryan Tannehill does not move. Uh, he does not wow you with his his arm or his throwing ability, but he, as long as he continues to make good decisions and play smart football, he's competent enough to take Tennessee, you know, through this on this playoff run. So that coupled with the way he's handled the uh, Henry injury, the way he's been able to get his defense to compete, uh, and now sitting at the top of the AFC, I I think Rabel's the clear-cut favorite. Uh, I think there's something to be said for both LaFleur and Taylor. Um, I'd have them, you know, probably as like two, two way uh, in the way that they've been able to go about the season. I, I don't know if, you know, for me, LaFleur, I don't know if he's overcome as much as maybe as Rabel or some of these other guys have, <coughs> excuse me. And I, and I think having the MVP and Aaron Rodgers always helps as well. Definitely. Um, but, but, and absolutely Sirianni be, belongs in the conversation, uh, you know, starting two and five, you know, going on the run that they have, showing that development as a first-year head coach in adapting to the players around him and being able to adapt the way he calls games and coaches the team uh, to put them in the position that they are today, where they are uh, in a – you know, have a playoff spot before the last week of the season. I think there's a lot to be said with that. Not necessarily – I don't don't see, uh, you know, a first-year head coach getting the award – um i think it's rabels i think he's earned it i think he's done a solid job in tennessee since he's got there and i think this one this year i I would be looking to see uh rabel get that award just with the job he's done this year
0: i agree i agree rob you had you had a good take on the defensive player of the year and the rookie of the year walk me through your thought process with that
1: yeah i mean i think Micah parsons um fellow Penn State alum. I think he's a clear front runner for uh, defensive rookie of the year. I, I think that's all but a, a done deal. My question is, is, you know, why not defensive player of the year as well? Mm-hmm. The way these awards shake out, you know, I could see the you know NFL going with Mike Parsons, easy choice of rookie of the year, you know, giving credit to somebody else like, T, like a TJ Watt uh, for defensive player of the year. But I mean, Uh, Michael Parsons hasn't missed much, if any time, if I'm not mistaken, right? Like, you know, T.J. Watt's been out, you know, here and there throughout the season. I know the value he brings to Pittsburgh. I know, you know, how how, you know solid of a defender he is, and he is one of the best uh, defenders in the league. But the way Michael Parsons has played, you know, even as a rookie, uh, the impact he's had on this Dallas defense to take it to where it is today – um, and to be in the position where they are, you know, now to make a playoff run, I think there's a, an argument to be made that uh, Micah Parsons should be, you know, if not, you know, both, you know, Rookie of the Year and Defensive Player of the Year with the way he's uh, contributed to this Dallas defense as a rookie.
0: Yeah, and I think it they weigh team success into it. If the Steelers don't somehow sneak in, I I would be mad if they didn't give both to Micah Parsons for everything he's done on the field, you look at the Cowboys record where they are, they win the division. They are they have a home playoff game. If the Steelers don't get in, is TJ Watt really defensive player of the year? That's just my opinion. Sean, you have a take on that?
2: Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I don't know how many games he, I probably should have done some research here, but I know he's missed a couple due to COVID. Um, he was banged up for a little bit. The guy has 21 and a half sacks, I think, or 22 and a half sacks, or going for the, all-time record, I want to say, right? hmm I mean, I... Yeah.
0: You're right, you're right. I
2: don't understand how he's not the defensive player of the year. The guy's probably the second-best defensive player in the league behind Aaron Donald. And, I mean, he drives that whole defense. That defense is not special. It's, and without him, it's average. It may probably below average. Yeah. I mean, the, yep. the, if you watched the game last night, I think the game last night said everything. If he wasn't sacking Baker, he was dropping into a little zone and batting everything he threw down. I mean, there's nothing that guy can't do.
0: You know, I I think talent-wise, it's clear T.J. Watt is better. I I just think if you have to go off a one-year's production for the team and individually, if he wasn't going for the sack record, that's a great narrative. I just lean Michael Parsons. Maybe I'm a little biased towards the Penn State talent. I mean, you and I both know uh, Frank has been a huge advocate of Michael Parsons for the last four years. For sure. I mean, he's known about him coming out of high school. He's – He's a generational talent. I think he's going to get a defensive MVP. It's not going to be this year, but it'll be sometime very soon.
2: Probably multiple.
0: Yeah, and then I think it has to be Jamar Chase for offense. Me, personally, it would have to be. I mean, you could – Mac Jones is another one. Um, What do you guys think about that?
2: I was Mac Jones until Sunday. I I don't know (laughs) – how do you not give that kid... That's fair. Of the year? I mean, I do That's think fair. Mac Jones deserves a ton of credit for being a rookie and leading a team that frankly stunk last year to the playoffs. I think he should get a ton of credit. I mean, Jamar Chase is just a different cat.
0: I agree. So, I'm sorry, Rob, go
1: ahead. I think it's all in how you, you know, take a look at, like, player of the year and how you assess that, right? So, you know, um, to me, Jamar Chase is hands down the most dynamic offensive rookie this year um you know with the talent and the especially the production that he's put up in the last couple weeks um you know clearly i think he's the most dynamic but when you look at mac jones at you know the most important position in the game Uh, as a rookie and what he's been able to do and how he's been able to manage the offense, you know, with the, you know, of course with the help and the the tutelage of the great Bill Belichick and to bring the Patriots back to where they are now, I think there's something to be said with that. Right. So to the extent that there's an edge for Mac Jones, you know, again, it's, you know, the role he's playing in leading that offense and the the team as quarterback, uh, you know, I think that has a lot to do with where he stands in this race but if we're just simply looking at, like, in terms of production and the, uh, the talent level and, and what we've seen out of these guys, yeah, you know, it's hard not to go with Jamar uh, Chase as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I just don't think Mac Jones statistically had a good enough year to battle the Bengals winning the division and the numbers Jamar Chase has put up. But yeah, I, think- I think what hurts
2: them. Is them being a predominant or hurts him, and this is them being a predominantly run team,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, well,
2: it's not like the offense is built around him,
0: yeah. It doesn't run through Mac
2: Jones, yeah. It's not just all on Mac Jones's arm.
0: He don't, I don't want this to get misinterpreted. Mac Jones has won them tough games, definitely, but he's gone above and beyond that expectations. I'm a huge Mac Jones fan, and I think he fits perfectly into the Bill Belichick system, but it's just really hard to take away from Jamar chase after the success that statistically he's going out of his freaking mind. He's an animal Uh, that the Bengals winning the division this year, I think solidifies him as the winner, in my opinion. But yeah, that that's really all I can take away. I'm looking at it. It's really unfortunate the way they shape this out. I guess when they were scheduling it going into the season, the Dolphins-Patriots was supposed to be a bigger game. But I really wish they saved Bills-Patriots for this week because this this would essentially be for the division, for home field, first-round playoff game. That, That would just be a really good one. It's a shame that the Jets just still stink. Zach Wilson, I will say, is progressing a little bit. In the right direction. Uh, He's not looking like a total miss. Robert Salah has been able to put together some tough games for the Jets lately. Um, He's got a couple coaching blunders that have cost them. But besides that, the NFL missed on that one. And I I feel like this is a layup where it's like, Bills, who's the next team that could be in it? It's the Patriots. Like, give the people what they want for a division-deciding matchup. I don't think I'm the only person that thinks that, but yeah, boys, I, that's really all I have to cover up last week and going into this week. Is there anything else you guys wanted to add?
1: No, I mean I think this is going to be a weird week, just with the way that you know, in terms of motivation, who's playing for what, where where folks fall in the standings. There's certainly there's some games. Uh, that mean a lot more than others. I think the most interesting game, the biggest game of the year is going to be the late game, uh, the San Diego, Las Vegas game. I think there's going to be a lot of interest in that one to see who's going to fight in for a playoff spot. But otherwise, you know, I'm going to be treading lightly this week, uh, especially just given, you know, I mentioned you, Mike, you know, a couple of days ago, we said, "Oh, you know, Dallas only given two and a half in Philly. That's an interesting line. And then, you know, a day later, the you know, the Eagles now have 12 folks on the COVID list. Yeah. That line's at seven points. So there's just, I guess, too much volatility right now, coupled with a weird week in, in terms of who's playing for what and where the motivation is uh, for me to lean strongly on any, you know, given side at the moment. I'll be keeping an eye out for certain games like that Las Vegas-San Diego game, uh, I th- or the Los Angeles game. I thought it was interesting to see that line uh, originally open up at two and a half. Um, and, I, and I think if if that you know it looked like that was shredded down towards that way, I think there's a lot of potential love on the Raiders as an underdog at home. Um, I'm looking to back the Chargers in that game if I can get that at under a field goal.
0: Yeah, that that one's weird, and that's just one of those tough matchups. I mean, Derek Carr just keeps proving people wrong, and he's at this point he's ten weeks overdue.
2: Yeah, that's another guy that deserves a, a ton of credit. Yep, yep. I mean, I hate that team, and they just win every freaking week. (laughs) Like, I think that team stinks. And I don't know how they win. I don't know why. He deserves a ton of credit.
0: Another Paisan. Another Paisan. He needs to get that job. He needs to get that job and give him a good contract, give him another year or two. For sure, for sure. He's got a winning record and a chance to make the playoffs with everything they've been through. I mean, I I don't think – I think I forgot him in the coach of the year conversation. He's not the coach of the year, but he's somebody that I'm definitely going to tip my cap to. Uh, Definitely impressed with how they've persevered over the course of this season. Derek Carr, I don't know why he's just such an easily hateable guy, but he keeps winning tough football games. So I don't know who I'm ready to pick in that. Justin Herbert doesn't have as much. Experienced, Derek carr has gotten his heart broken so many times already so i feel like this is his chance to like leave it all out there but we'll definitely touch more on that on sunday uh tune in sunday morning we'll definitely be doing on a nice little stream going through the whole slate uh whatever we can find whatever good value we can find we'll definitely have good plays out there uh yeah boys i i think i feel good about it how do you guys feel
1: yeah, I mean, I, I think it's shaping up to be a great playoff. I, I, I was, you know, looking, I'm looking at these, particularly on the AFC side. Some of these matchups, these are incredible matchups. Yeah, um, yeah. They all look to be, like, really good, especially with a few of those divisional matchups like you mentioned, Mike. Um, and the and the NFC side as well. I, I think the biggest thing is that it, you know, the road to the Super Bowl and the NFC goes through Lambeau. And who can step up to the plate and challenge Green Bay and Lambeau? I, at the moment, I, I don't see anybody doing that. Uh, but it's going to be really fun to watch, and I think this week is really all about, um, you know, you know, seeing how things, the final standing shake out at the bottom there with that with the AFC picture. I think at this point for NFC, it's really a matter of seating. Uh, I'd be surprised to see the Saints sneak in over San Fran, um, but on that side, I think it's more about seating. So I think it's really getting ready and gearing up for this uh, playoff run.
0: Yeah, I think we're poised for a really good one. I think this this might be one of the best wildcard weekends I can remember. Anybody can really beat anybody. And we're looking at a lot of rivalries teeing up against each other. Uh I, I just I'm really excited. I, I hope nothing crazy happens this week where we get it to pan out the way we would want it. Um yeah. That that's it, boys. I, I feel I feel all right. Sean, anything, any last minute touches.
2: I just want the playoffs to stay exactly how they are. I don't care about seeding, but I think you've got the best 14 teams in the playoffs, which I think I is know. rare. Um, the Eagles are probably the worst team in the playoffs, which is fine with me because that's my team. So, yep. you know, yep, everybody else, was. I mean, who's the, the seventh seed in the AFC? Chargers. That right now
1: is the Chargers.
2: Yeah, I mean, I can't wait for the playoffs. Right now. roll.
1: Chargers-Kansas City, that's going to be a great matchup.
2: Out of the,
0: out the gate. Hell yeah. Ooh. Hell yeah. Mike,
1: you get your wish wildcard weekend. I mean, if it stays as the way it is now, you got Bill's Patriots going at it again wildcard weekend.
0: You know what? You're right. I'd rather save it for wildcard weekend. So maybe the NFL's on to something <laughs> that I don't know about. Maybe they're one step ahead of me. Chances I'm not going to give them that much credit, but I'll give them like a fighter's chance. All right, boys, until next time we'll we'll touch base on Sunday. Everybody tune in on Sunday. Follow us on Twitter at take your pick. Follow us on Instagram. Take your pick ninety-two. Cause some freaking lizard has take your pick. Get out of here. All right, gentlemen. Good cast.